ho, welcome to Slumber Party Cinema Club, uh, the podcast you've listened to a thousand times about movies you've seen only once. What? I didn't have the thing up and totally forgot about that. <laughs> <laughs> I listened to it a thousand times. I don't know if we should just keep that. Um, I think you should. Yeah. Why I, not? <laughs> yeah. Anyways, uh, reporting to you live from too early in the morning to be podcasting. I'm your host, Katie. And I'm your other host, Kate. So I know right away we want to kind of kick this off. Kate and I went to go see uh, the Beyonce Renaissance movie last night. We did. And I don't know about you, Katie, but uh, I got up early this morning to work out because of it. Oh, that's funny. I... <laughs> Didn't do that. But I guess to be fair, I do have gyms scheduled later in my day. Mm-hmm. So it's mm-hmm. fine. Well, because you saw you saw the actual show live. Yeah. So I went back in July, July 23rd. Um, I saw her uh, on the Sunday night that she performed at the at Soldier Field uh, here in Chicago. And Blue Ivy was there. Um, so I was very lucky. Blue, I was at the one show she did in Chicago where Blue Ivy uh, popped up through the floor. But it was really, really cool seeing the movie because it's it's not just the concert film, but also a documentary that walks you through just how much work it takes to put a show on like that. Um, and she gives a lot of credit to her dancers and her um, uh, technologists and all the people that made it possible for her vision to to become a reality on that stage. So I really, really appreciated that, especially as a former tech theater kid uh, for my yeah, same. hearing about, yeah, hearing about all like the different pieces and, you know, the, the tech mishaps that happened in a couple of the shows and how they got around them. Um, I love, there's one scene where the sound goes out and they know they have about three minutes before it'll come back online. And she's like, well, let's do a costume change. Yeah. <laughs> I, yeah. And I love like, how she wanted to highlight the crew by having them wear like reflective outfits or it's like normally when you're you know stage crew uh you're wearing black because mm-hmm. you're supposed to be kind of obscured as much as possible mm-hmm. but no I thought it was I thought it was really cool I liked all the documentary bits I a lot of the things that she talked about just with the meaning behind Renaissance really stuck with me I think one of the things that stuck with me the most was uh, towards the end, she was talking about how a lot of her artistry was crafted kind of through like trauma and healing. And now that she's like turned 40 and she's sort of just definitely in this new chapter of her life, she hopes that going forward, her um, art sort of reflects more peace and healing And that really stuck with me because I like personally with like my own sort of mental health journey. And I've been thinking about this a lot lately, especially because I had a little reunion dinner with like some friends in college. I Mm -hmm. I was just thinking about like, man, I feel like I was such a crap person in my 20s because I was just like so, so messed up mentally in a lot of ways and dealing with a lot of things and a lot of traumas. And like I got to 30 I had really settled into like a therapy routine. Like I got on medication to help me out with some things. I feel very comfortable with who I am. But sometimes I find myself regretting that I couldn't be the person I am now my Mm. whole life. But sort of hearing that was kind of like a nice reminder of it's like, well, I can continue to 
grow and to live my life from this point of like peace and joy and leave behind, you know, the period of my life that was maybe like, yeah, like trauma and healing. Mm-hmm. So it was nice to hear. I mean, I could, we could get real deep into, into the philosophical conversation there. Cause my next question would be like, well, do you think you'd be the same person you are now without going through that period of time in your twenties? Right. That's always the question, you know, it's like, yeah, it's like all your experiences sort of like mixed together and make up who you are, but mm-hmm. who knows? I mean, yeah, sometimes I get angry about it and other times I'm like, well, it's just, it was a part of my life story, but mm-hmm. anyways, yeah, really great movie. I know there were other things that I sort of like my brain snagged on and I was like, I wish I had a notebook to like write things down immediately like a nerd. But yeah, I mean, like, well, yeah, if you could, because I'm sorry, uh, crazy and loves co- crazy and love comes on and like, I just lose my shit. Uh- <laughs> <laughs> Who doesn't? Um, yeah, I know. Megan the Stallion shows up for Savage and I was like freaking out. Uh- <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, I, I, yeah, there was, I think the one thing that, that really stood out to me was when she was talking about Uncle Johnny, which I knew already because I had read up on it because I was curious. I love the song. He, I love that whole album, but like he did with the line, Uncle Johnny made my dress that cheap spandex. She looks a mess. I was like, Uncle Johnny. Okay. This has come up before. So I like did some research. And so I really appreciate seeing the photos and seeing her talk about who Uncle Johnny was in her life and how the album is very much a dedication um, to him and to the culture that he brought into her life. I think that at least at first, I, I've got a classmate who's a DJ uh, on the side. She's awesome. She she spins records uh, just for fun. Um, and she and I were talking right after Renaissance dropped. And she was like, you know, I love it. But I also am very aware that she's taking a lot from house culture. Mm-hmm. And I remember thinking about that. I was like, you know, most, yeah, like a lot of straight, at least we think are straight um, pop stars. I'm still holding out hope that day is by um but you know like a lot of straight pop stars like do take right and and we see that happen a lot we see white pop stars take from black culture all the time mm-hmm. um it's it's very much that you know and and just you know um vernacular taking from black queer culture and so i kind of understood where her point was but i think that knowing that there's history there that this is something that's been part of of beyonce's life since she was a kid um, mm-hmm. and stitched throughout her career based off of so to speak based off of you know uncle johnny making all the costumes for destiny's child because no designer would work with them i think that there's it's not that she's taking from that culture it's reverence towards that culture because it's been part of her career all the way to this point yeah definitely and i mean i i know people like to throw out the word appropriation a lot but appropriation isn't always like a bad thing especially when it comes to art like just any form of art, whether it's music or, you know, painting or cinema or any, you know, anything it, you know, taking from what was and sort of honoring it and like remolding the clay is, you know, and yeah, part of it. It's part well, of and inviting the people who are responsible, responsible for it along for the ride. Right. I mean, she's got a ballroom legend, uh, MC working on the tour. She's got trans and queer dancers on that stage with her and dancers of all shapes and sizes too, which I love too, mm-hmm. that are on that stage with her. So it's not that she's taking it and then she's putting her own, you know, very, uh, heterosexual, all perfectly formulated 
kind of dancer dance troupe behind her uh, to, you know, mimic it. She's actually yeah. bringing the culture to the stage. And what's really cool is seeing it in the audience too, because they did a lot of audience shots and you could see that. Oh God. There every were a time. lot of people in the audience that belonged on that stage too. Mm-hmm. Every time they like zoomed in on someone with just like joyous, wild abandon, like they were just loving the time that they were there. Like the looks that people had crafted. Mm-hmm. Um, it was, it was amazing. And I, I, I love this trend of like people going to concerts and just like throwing all in and like using it to filter their own creativity. Like they're, you know, making signs and making costumes and doing makeup and like painting their bodies. And it's just freaking amazing. Well, you know, we're spending enough for it. So we might as well I like and even last night like our group there we were all like let's you know let's look a little special like let's not you know wear just our normal movie you know comfy outfit like Mm -hmm. let's put on some sparkle and -hmm. it's just for us and yeah I learned I learned a lot from the movie too because I didn't know um who Uncle Johnny was I didn't know who what's his the ballroom Kevin Mm -hmm. uh can't think of his full name amazing to learn about him and then I was also you talked about the dancers um there was this the one dancer and I can't think of her name it started with an s and it was the dancer that was helping coach blue yes yeah and and she was a thick girl and I was like she is making me love my body right now as an as also a thick girl which I needed because I've had some like not good body image things going on in my head the last couple weeks but like just seeing her fucking dance and move and just kill it I was like hell yeah Mm -hmm. so yeah it was a great time seeing that movie yeah yeah well and then Blue Ivy and herself I mean like the whole line that they they described like she did that one performance they said because Beyonce did not necessarily want her doing it. She was like, yeah, you haven't gone through all the stuff I've had to go through to get to a big stage. And Mm -hmm. I don't know what that's going to mean for you. And Mm -hmm. so eventually she was like, okay, you can do one show. And then I remember after the clips, I think it was the show in Dubai um, that Blue Ivy showed up at. And like, I guess they, they framed it like Blue had a friend that made a comment and then all of a sudden it exploded. I don't know how real that is or is it just exploded and a friend of hers was in it, like part of it. But the comments about Blue's performance were mean because people forget that that's an 11 year old human being as opposed to, yeah. you know, just a media configuration. So, yeah. So the fact that Blue took the criticism and was like, well, I want to keep doing it and I want to get better. Mm-hmm. And the fact that she was given the opportunity to do that, that Beyonce was like, she had faith in her that she would and wasn't just like, okay, well, you kind of sucked on this one. So how about we put you away until you're <laughs> older? Um, like the fact yeah. that she gave that space to grow and to try it and to overcome. I mean, as a, I feel like the the stuff that Beyonce went through getting her career off the ground is very different from what anybody goes through now to get a career off the ground. Oh, for sure just as bad but different looks different yeah and i you know i'm sure a lot of well she mentioned it in the in the sort of documentary parts like she's a black country curvy girl she said at one Mm -hmm. point like 
being one of the reasons that like designers didn't really want to dress her and like the rest of destiny's child so yeah and you know she was coming up during a time where it was like you know the pretty white pop princess you Mm -hmm. had britney spears christina aguilera like even though you know you had pink even though pink wasn't the princessy girl she was still a white girl Mm -hmm. so who is being groomed to be sort of an r&b kind of rap punk weirdness yeah she got over she got through that pretty quick though (laughs) yeah she She got through it and she found her own way yeah and she's still great today but um yeah highly recommend um everyone experience take your girlfriend renaissance (laughs) yeah all the gays and theys and ladies out there should definitely see renaissance it's amazing Mm -hmm. Um, well and then today's film we're going to talk about um it's kind of like, I don't know, it's sort of a sleeper for me. Like, oh, yeah. I didn't expect to like it as much as I did when I finally saw it. And I, I credit entirely to the director. Mm-hmm. Yeah, today's movie is a Christmas rom-com. Uh, came out in 2006, Holiday, written and directed by Nancy Myers. Oh, queen of the cinematic kitchen. <laughs> yeah, for real. <laughs> Which... Just to back up, like, I like a lot of Nancy Myers movies because, you know, I'm a romantic person, even though I definitely like romance books more than I like romance movies. But I saw one recently of hers. It's like very old. Um, She wrote it called Baby Boom. Mm, mm-hmm. Did you ever see that? Was that a movie or? Oh, yeah, that's because there's a movie, but they also made a TV show out of it. They did. It, it was like, that was like the era of the 80s where it's like if a movie did really well, they would try to make a TV show out of it. And the TV mm-hmm. show was never even like half as good. But yeah, that was that was really good. That was sort of like a, it had Diane Keaton in it and it had, um, it's sort of like a big, big city woman moves to small town and finds love with, you know, a small town guy. In that case, it was uh, Sam Shepard. And... Mm-hmm. But anyways, The Holiday. So wait, when did you, you said you, when you finally saw it, when did you see it? I think I saw it in college. Okay. So not, not too long after it came out, honestly. Um, Cause it came out in 2006. I graduated high school in 2009. So yeah, I think mm-hmm. I saw it in college, like sophomore year, junior year. So yeah, it was only a couple of years old. Yeah. I was about to say like, yeah, I also saw it in college, but I was in college in 2006. <laughs> <laughs> I was trying to remember the other day if I had seen this in the theaters or not I might have I feel like I probably did I was really really I mean I still am really really into Kate Winslet but I was really really into Kate Winslet back then Mm -hmm. yeah I want to say that I probably saw it in college after I'd started getting into Kate Winslet stuff I've never been a huge Cameron Diaz fan so I think that might have slowed me down from seeing it as quickly but truly Jude Law and Kate Winslet sold it for me but uh you come for them and you stay for Jack Black and Eli Wallach Oh, yeah, absolutely. And a fun trivia bit about this movie is that Nancy Myers actually wrote the movie with like the four leads in mind. Only Nancy Myers could possibly do that. It's her and like not even the Daniels got that for everything everywhere all at once. Like, yeah, Nancy, Nancy Myers is the only one who can write a movie with four people in mind and be able, and get those four people. Like I loved I saw some trivia that said that Robert Downey Jr. and um Jimmy Fallon. I'm sorry to invoke that name on this podcast with you on, on the line, Katie. 
I know how you feel about Jimmy Fallon, but like the two of them both uh, auditioned for Jude Law and Jack Black's roles, uh, respectively. Mm -hmm. And I think it was Jimmy Fallon who was like, yeah, we were just seat fillers. Like they knew exactly who they wanted for that those roles before we even like put our names in. Yeah. Well, and I think uh, talking about Jack Black as like, as a romantic male lead, which, and I'll go right, right into my biggest opinion about this movie. I think he is an underrated romantic male lead. I think he's amazing and charming. And I think he's good looking. Fuck everyone who said when this movie came out that like, he like that Kate Winslet got the ugly guy or whatever what fuck y'all but like (laughs) well like isn't she pining after Rufus Sewell who has some attractive qualities but also looks a little bit like someone like left him in the sun too long and he melted oh yes she is and (laughs) I I enjoy him as an actor because I feel like he's always a baddie and like in this he's not like an evil baddie he's just like a shitty dude he's a shitty dude yeah but I just like I appreciate that Nancy Myers and I'm like I don't know if maybe she was like friends with Jack Black or like knew him because so the only thing that he had really come close to like playing a romantic lead was the movie Shallow How which well and I hate that movie uh (laughs) I I don't mind that movie (laughs) but I definitely understand why people hate it it's definitely not like I, I forget who wrote it, but I want to go ahead and assume it's not a romantic comedy that was written by a woman because it just doesn't have that, like, you can tell that, like, a female wrote this. And, like... Yeah, it was it was the Farrelly brothers that did it. Yeah, okay, that's right. Yeah. But, like, his movies that he had done, his big movies were, like, Orange County, and, like, he did Voices in Ice Age, and, like, he was big with tenacious d like i think the same yeah pick of destiny came out the same year as the holiday and like his uh, like he did nacho libre that year he had done king kong which was like a little bit different role of him but like i I guess my point is he he didn't do any of these like roles that would be like you would see him on screen and you'd be like male lead in a rom-com and yet nancy myers said that she picked him because she saw him in school of rock that's amazing. I've actually never seen that movie. Oh that's- my goodness. I've seen that one before you. Whoa. I know. That seems that seems like a movie that would have like some sort of romantic subplot in it. Though. It does. It does. It, but it's okay. a very sweet, like it, yeah, it's it's good. Yeah. Well, it just it it strikes me as like, you know how like a lot of Adam Sandler movies had like r- tiny romantic subplots in them? Mm-hmm. That's that's kind that's of exactly how it is. Yeah. yeah but um yeah I love I honestly I love I've always loved the Kate Winslet Jack Black uh half of the movie and I could take the Jude Law Cameron Diaz part and just <laughs> throw it in the trash like if somebody recut the movie and it was just Jack Black and Kate Winslet cool awesome well no see I like to look at Jude Law so I don't necessarily want to throw it in the trash no um <laughs> See, I like just for those who are listening, if you have not seen The Holiday, um, surprise, it has a happy ending for everyone, except for the (laughs) shitty dudes. They don't have really happy endings. You don't get to see their endings. Um, So it's pretty much so this woman, Iris, who's played by Kate Winslet, um, 
she's been pining after this guy at work and finds out that he's engaged to another coworker. And then there's this other woman, um, played by Cameron Diaz. Her name's Amanda. She has the job of cutting movie trailers. I wanted that job so bad. And so she lives in LA. She's like in the movies and she finds out that her live-in boyfriend who is played by Edward Burns, who is always playing a shitty boyfriend. She finds out that he's been cheating on her and kicks him out of the house. And these two things coincide at the same time. And both women decide they just need to get out of where they're living and where they're, you know, what, where their life is and go somewhere for the holidays. So they go on to home exchange and they swap homes. So Irish- Which is like pre-pre- airbnb or verbo or anything like yeah. that it was something that was like it did vaguely exist. popular yeah it did actually exist and it, um the popularity surged a little bit after this movie of course well because everyone wanted to go find their jude law while staying in a quaint little cottage here's what's funny or their jack black or their jack black <laughs> while living in a palatial la mansion um so yeah so amanda's got this huge ass house in la and iris picks that one and Amanda's excited because she's like, oh, a quaint little cottage in Surrey. That sounds like my speed. Like, that's what I need. It's different. So here's the funny thing about that little quaint little cottage. It's probably worth between one and two million dollars. Like, honestly, that oh, house is gorgeous. And where it's sure. located, it would be very, very expensive. So how Kate Winslet's character affords it, we don't know. Like, they, they do this house swap. And naturally, while they're swapping houses, they both meet men that sweep them off their feet. So in Amanda's mm-hmm. case... It's Iris's brother, Graham, uh, who's played by Jude Law. And in Iris's case, it is Miles, who is dating someone at the time she meets him, but that breaks bad. And so they find each other. And it's um, Shannon Sossaman. That's right. Shannon Sa- And I think it was like one of her early roles, wasn't it? Yeah, it might have come out around the same time as A Knight's Tale. Yeah, I think A Knight's Tale was a little bit earlier, but yeah. So um, yeah, it's this adorable little two-sided rom-com where these two people, it's really two stories. I mean, I don't think Amanda and Iris ever really talk together to each other, do they? They talk online before when they're planning. There's like one phone conversation between them and then you see them together at the very end. Mm-hmm. Also, and I'll I'll segue you because I know this is something that you want to talk about. I guess it could be argued that Kate Winslet meets two men in this it movie. It is true. Yeah. Because then there's Amanda's uh, neighbor, Arthur, who is an old Hollywood screenwriter mm-hmm. and played by Eli Wallach. Who is old Hollywood himself. Old Hollywood himself. So yeah, can I do my Eli Wallach spiel? Absolutely. Please. So, I've been waiting. <laughs> okay. So Eli Wallach uh, was born in 1915. He passed on in 2014. So he lived a good long life. Mm-hmm. In that lifetime, he was in more than 90 movies and he also acted on the stage. So Eli Wallach's first big role uh, was a movie called Baby Doll. And it was directed by uh, Aliyah Kazan, who is a controversial figure in Hollywood. He uh, told the HUAC committee about a lot of people in Hollywood that had communist leanings, whether they did or not. Um, oh. And so Elia Kazan is kind of a, uh, you know, when they gave him a life, like they recognized him, not him, because I think he was had passed by then. But when they recognized his work uh, at any kind of industry event, you'll only get about half the room standing in applause. The rest kind of don't like him because he ended a lot of people's careers by by talking to Hugh. That's oh, Elia wow. Kazan, not Eli Wallach. 
Eli Wallach was cool. (laughs) So Eli Wallach was in one of Eli Kazan's first films uh, called Baby Doll. And Baby Doll was super controversial. It's based on a Tennessee Williams play about a man who marries a teenager and puts her in the attic and makes her sleep in a, a baby crib until she's 18 and then he can have sex with her. Oh my God. Okay. Yeah. That fuck. That sounds very controversial for the time period yeah and eli wallach's not playing the husband by the way the husband is like carl malden okay and eli wallach is a dashing stranger who comes to town and decides he's going to seduce baby doll okay also feels not good also feels not good yeah quick question is this pre-code uh no this is 1956 Okay. And it was his debut screen performance. And I got to say, like, Eli Wallach, I've seen him in so many things. He was also in The the Magnificent Seven. He was in The Misfits, which I'll get back to in a minute, because that's another movie I want to mention. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was in The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly. He was in The Godfather Part Three. Number of things. Oh, he also appeared in Studio 60 on the Sunset Strip, uh, which he got an Emmy nomination for, and also Nurse Jackie, which he also got an Emmy nomination for. So, like, he was he was in stuff all the way through his life. And, of course, The Holiday. He, yeah, the, the movie Baby Doll that he was in, um, he's dashing and charming, and you're kind of rooting for him, even though it feels really weird. Because Carl Malden's character as the husband is just so ridiculously awful. <laughs> and the whole thing is you just want him to get Baby Doll out of that house and out of that situation. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, so this is 1954 and the film was banned in a number of places, but he also ended up receiving a BAFTA nomination <laughs> for, for his role. So Of course. <laughs> uh, he actually won the BAFTA for Best Newcomer. Uh, and he also got a Golden Globe nomination. So that was the first time he was ever on a screen was was. 1956 sorry not 1954 1956 um so this movie was made 50 years later um but in that 50 year time i also want to mention he was in a movie called the misfits which was the last film that marilyn monroe made before she died okay Um, and he plays guido who's a man that starts falling for all the men in this movie fall in love with marilyn monroe it's also you not it's a very dark movie clark gable was also in it played her main love interest and ends up he also passed on uh, right after the movie it was his last movie too but the reason that uh eli wallach was cast in that film was because arthur miller who wrote it and who was married to marilyn monroe at the time thought that he was the happiest good actor out there because <laughs> <laughs> he just he had a, a a good demeanor so yeah so yeah just a really interesting person that you you've seen in a million movies um, but you may not have known. And then he ends up in the holiday. So I remember when I saw the holiday the first time, I knew exactly who he was because I had already seen Baby Doll for a film class. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was really like, I don't know. I love that he plays an old Hollywood screenwriter when he was part of that old Hollywood culture. Yeah. So I, yeah, I was just going to ask. I thought you had said you, you'd seen Baby Doll. I kind of am interested in seeing it now. I believe it's entirely available on YouTube. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. What that, that almost reminds me of can, hard candy with like, I think with um, uh, Elliot Page. Yeah. Elliot Page and Patrick, Patrick Wilson. Wilson. Yeah. Mm-hmm just like yeah except vibe. elliot page is like in control of the situation as opposed to being yeah. literally stuck in a crib yeah yeah Ooh, yeah wild oh i just got like chills from like just 
<laughs> yeah. That like that's also like I was gonna say I could also think of a, a true crime situation that's a little bit like that. Mm-hmm. Um about like the woman the woman in the box. Do you want to talk about true crime when we're talking about Christmas? Maybe not. Let's skip. <laughs> <laughs> you and I can talk about that later, maybe if we want to. I also really quick want to highlight that um because you, you might have said this before. So Cameron Diaz is like a movie trailer uh, editor. She cuts movie trailers and her staff assistants are played by Catherine Hahn and John Krasinski. Yes. Very early roles. Very early roles for both of them. Teeny tiny cameos. Like they're only in that one scene. I think like The Office maybe had just started its first season. I want to say Catherine Hahn, I think, was still playing sort of bit parts or friend parts in rom-coms at this point. She hadn't really, you know, been recognized by Hollywood as an amazing leading lady. Um, uh, yeah, which she is. I love her so much. Oh, yeah. she 100%. I think I would also add her to my list of crushes. Absolutely. Um, I, I loved her since her appearance in Parks and Rec, honestly. Oh, Yeah. <laughs> Because think, she's she's mean. Well, not mean. She's just she's very strong-willed. Yeah. And some of her opinions seem really like because they're so different from what Leslie believes, they feel very grating, but also she's right. Yeah. Well, and she's also like, I know who I am. Like, and I'm not gonna pretend to be anyone else. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, you know what, this last time that I was watching, I I don't know if this is a thing that's like made clear or just a theory that I came up with in my own head, but you know how like Catherine Hahn's character is pregnant. Mm-hmm. And I also was kind of like, I should look up and see if like she was actually pregnant while shooting and they just kept it in. Like Good. Nancy Myers was just like, whatever your character's pregnant. But I was thinking about it and I was like, hey, similar to Beyonce when one of her uh, musicians was like, Hey, I'm expecting, and I want to do the tour. And she's like, great. You'll be pregnant on the tour. Yes. I <laughs> leaned over to one of our friends that was sitting next to me. And I was like, can you imagine being that baby? And then for the rest of your life, you get to be like, I, my mom was on tour with Beyonce while she was pregnant with me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we mm-hmm. were like, that's like a forever flex. Oh yeah. But yeah, no, a thing that I was thinking about the last time or this recent time that I watched it, I was like, I wonder if Catherine Hahn and John Krasinski's characters are supposed to be married. Oh, that's interesting. And I've decided that I'm just going to keep it. Good. Yeah. Just assume um, that they are married because it just, it seems correct. The other person I want to shout out uh, for the tiny, the teeny tiny bit role in this movie is Sarah Parrish, who mm-hmm. plays uh, Kate Winslet's friend at the beginning of the movie. Um, friend, colleague, you know, the one that's smoking, sort of giving her, allowing her to give us some exposition about her uh, unrequited love affair. Yes. With, yeah. uh, Jasper, played by Rufus Sewell. And I love Sarah Parrish when she shows up in things. She shows up. She's another like a friend of a of the romantic leading lady. She has a way bigger part in um, The Wedding Date, mm-hmm. which is a movie I love and I love her in it. But she also makes appearances in a lot more um, 
British cinema and shows and stuff. And she's just like absolutely hilarious. And I love the, you know, two minutes that she shows up in this movie. <laughs> yeah. In fact, you've got other people that like went on to be big things. Like Alex O'Loughlin is one of, he, there's like that couple that's like kissing at yeah. one point. Alex O'Loughlin went on to be the lead in Hawaii Five-0's reboot on CBS for a long time. He was also in a really short-lived show called Moonlight about, I believe, a vampire who solves crimes. Uh, very good looking man um I think but he I was also in you're talking about. sorry <laughs> <laughs> um we also got uh james franco and i'm trying to remember oh Lindsay lohan Lindsay lohan the yeah. two of them are in a movie trailer that they're cutting at the very beginning of of the movie mm-hmm. um and then my favorite uh there's a cameo from dustin hoffman um when you go, oh yeah it's essential and we can talk about this probably more extended because this is a theme um the quintessential guy flirting with a girl in a video store scene that has to happen in this movie uh jack black walking with kate winslet through a blockbuster and explaining that mrs robinson was written for the movie the graduate and dustin hoffman's standing there in the in the movie in the rental store and just sort of throws his hands up. He's like, I can't go anywhere. <laughs> yeah, like they don't even know you're there. But <laughs> no, I oh, when we were watching that movie, um, I was like, you know, I really do miss the age of like just wandering through a movie store and just like seeing what was on the shelves and like deciding, you know, do I want something new? Do I want something old? Like just seeing what exists. Yeah, well, and I can smell it, right? all blockbusters had that like quintessential plastic smell yeah yeah because my family we were big like we would go for i we didn't have a blockbuster we had a place called movie gallery which i Mm -hmm. think was like another chain Mm -hmm. but um they would you know often do like a rent three and get the fourth free or whatever and so we'd just rent four movies for the whole weekend and that's Mm -hmm. what we would like watch you know as a family during dinner because we ate dinner at tv trays in front of our television because that's the family we were (laughs) we did that on on a number of friday nights we would do that with movies and stuff yeah but um yeah i i was like i i do miss going through the movie store well and talk i mean like talk about like a fun even though it's technically not a date miles and iris are not on a date when they do that i think they just they're friends they've like sort of struck up a friendship because miles is dating you know shan sossman uh um, and that's at least that's when he sees her shameless awesome man, um maggie uh, his girlfriend uh making out with someone outside and realizes that that relationship is over um mm-hmm. but they're not technically on a date but i do love the idea of that being a date it's the reason why my dating profile has like what like forget about dating traditions what would be a good date and i'm like let's walk around a bookstore like so we can like talk about what we've read and you can tell me what to read and i can tell you what you need to read <laughs> Yeah, I was gonna say you say they're they're it's not a date. They are one thousand percent dating throughout that entire. Yeah, (laughs) he just doesn't think they are. (laughs) Well, and what I think is so cool about that sort of like Kate Winslet, um, half of the movie is like she's gorgeous, right? Mm -hmm. But she is like not trying to be at all. Like she is just there to nurse her broken heart. Then she, you know, she makes friends with Arthur and she's like helping him out. She's helping him get ready so he can go to this lifetime achievement award and accept a, an award. 
And he didn't want to go previously because he was worried about his mobility and trying to climb upstairs. And so she helps him work out a little bit and stuff. But like at no time is she like, and then she's becoming friends with Jack Black too. And at no time is she like trying to be like impressive or gorgeous. Like she looks normal. Mm-hmm. Do, am I making sense? Do you know what I yes. mean? Like, yeah, she is just a normal person who happens to look like Kate Winslet. Yeah. Which, you know what else I was thinking about? I was thinking about how, um, like, because the fashion in that movie was the very, like, um, it was that, like, mid-aughts, like, where you have, like, your torso looks very elongated because you're wearing, like, a very long, tight tank top or t-shirt, and it just maybe flares out a little bit at your hips. And like, you're just very flat stomach. And I was in that she does that a lot. And I was thinking about the fact that um, also around that time, Kate Winslet specifically was known to be plus sized. Yes. Because she wasn't like a size four. Mm-hmm. Wild. Yeah. I was always envious of like, I had never had the body shape to be able to like pull off that very like long torsoed swoopy like low jeans low on hips look yeah I, that. that time no i wasn't either Mm-mm. and now of course that time has passed it's no longer in fashion <laughs> also i'm i'm cool looking how i look <laughs> yeah yeah um so i i know last week we were kind of talking about this um towards the end about like you know what makes a christmas movie a christmas movie and oddly, I know this is a Christmas movie, a considered Christmas movie by many. Always it is showing... called The Holiday. Yeah. It doesn't specify which holiday. Well, and uh, not to be confused with another movie called Holiday, which mm-hmm. is one of my favorites. I watch it at New Year's every year. It's Katherine Hepburn. So, of course, you know I love it. Uh, yeah. And uh, Cary Grant. And one of her first movies. No, I, I think that this one's Christmas because it just takes place around Christmas and everything. I don't know. Like the English town that Cameron Diaz stays in is all like decked out for the holiday. And mm-hmm. yeah. it is a little weird that there's at Christmas time a Lifetime Achievement Award being held. Those are typically held in January, February, unless it's the Kennedy Center Honors. Uh, I like that you know that. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, this year's Kennedy Center Honors, I'm very excited to watch because I know every single person being nominated this year. <laughs> oh, nice. Yeah. No, I was going to say, like, uh, this, I think this is one on, like, the opposite side of, like, the diehard argument where you could be like, yeah, it takes place at Christmas, but it doesn't necessarily have anything to do with Christmas. And honestly, yeah. I think this is a this is a movie that I will honestly watch at any time of year. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, I can agree. Because really, it could happen at any time. I think that's the thing. It could happen at any time of year. Yeah. It just so happens that it's around the holidays that these two women decide they want to go somewhere. And I do like the caveat is that, like, I think the reason they decide to, like, t- do this swap is that, like, one of them asks, are there any available men, like, where I'm going? And she says, zero. <laughs> yeah. So... <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I think that there's, you know, like, yeah, it could ha- it could be any time of year. It just so happens to happen at Christmas. Meanwhile, Die Hard absolutely has to happen at Christmas. I agree, because the reason that John McClane travels to California is because it's Christmas. He's going mm-hmm. to spend Christmas with his estranged wife and his children. 
And the reason that there's a party going on is because it's Christmas. Right. Mm-hmm. Suck it, diehard deniers. <laughs> <laughs> we'll do a whole episode on diehard soon, I promise. Um, I will say as we sort of start to come to our closing thoughts that um, if I had to choose a half of the movie to be in, I would want to be in the Kate Winslet half. However, I would want Kate Winslet's house. Like, I love her cozy little cottage. I love her huge clawfoot tub. Huge I re- is, an under- is kind of an overstatement because there is that scene where Cameron Diaz gets in and her legs are just sticking up off the side. <laughs> Cause she's gotta, you gotta sit. Like, I don't know that it's huge to me because it's a tub that I look at and I'm like, that's a tub that I could soak in because the water will cover my body. It's like deep. it's a yeah, deep, deep, deep yeah. is what, yeah, that's yeah. what I'm going for. But yeah, as, as cool as like Cameron Diaz is like LA mansion is with like it's pool and it's huge, you know, movie theater style television set and all these like cool electronic amenities i i really would go for the cottage cottage girl well and it's truly like the grass is always greener right this just happens to be a movie where they prove that the grass is greener where either of them go yeah they just need to permanently switch places Mm -hmm. (laughs) Which I don't know. Like at the end, I think the last scene is they're celebrating New Year's in their respective places, aren't they? Like they're all in they're all in uh England. Oh, they're all in that's right, because she brings Miles to England with her. Yeah, because re- there's the scene when they're at the um the awards show and he says it's like officially over with Shannon Sossaman. And then he's like, Hey, what are you doing for New Year's? Mm-hmm. So yeah, and she's like, her. well, I gotta go back. But meanwhile, Cameron Diaz, who has more money than God, apparently, um, with that house from cutting movie trailers. Uh, although maybe she's a producer or publicist, I don't know. But she she's she stays and she stays with Graham and his two children, who of course there's the typical rom-com miscommunication where she thinks that he's just a womanizer, but it turns out that the two women he keeps talking about are actually his daughters. <laughs> yeah. And, and it's the two cutest, most perfect princess children, princess fairy mm-hmm. children ever. <laughs> yeah. 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 Who like him doing Mr. Napkin face. Yes. Yeah. Um, the one thing I will criticize as very cheesy about the movie is sort of the plot point that Cameron Diaz's character can't cry. Yes. I was hoping you'd bring that up. <laughs> yeah. I almost forgot. And then I was like, I remember and she's like she says it so plainly when she's having her fight with her ex she's like why does it bother you so much that I can't cry and I'm just like it feels so 2006 I'm not like other girls yeah yeah and it feels very much like the like I'm I'm a woman in sort of a male dominated industry. So I have to be this like power bitch. Mm -hmm. But then she's like, oh, I'm having an esophagus spasm. And it's like, you're having that because you can't cry. Like that's Mm -hmm. your crying. And, but no one puts that together. No, just no one knows. It's mysterious, mysterious esophagus spasm. And Uh, and of of course it takes Jude Law to break her to the point that she can cry. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) In a gentle way. In a gentle way. It's like, he doesn't do anything. He She's doesn't do like, anything to hurt her. She, like, hurts herself, essentially. Yeah, 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 yeah. But, yeah, that line is just so ham-fisted. 
<laughs> yeah. Well, they had to do some again, like you're right. I I I watched the Cameron Diaz half of the movie because Jude Law is fun to watch and despite all of his transgressions in real life. And so I just enjoy looking at him. Cameron Diaz, I could take or leave. Um, and also the house. I like watching the house because you're right. I, I really like that. Co- I want both. I want the LA house and I want the cottage. Is that too much to ask? <laughs> I don't think so. Yeah. I think you deserve it all. <laughs> I'm trying to think of, I'm like scrolling through Jude Law's IMDb real quick. Cause I'm like, is there any movie that I've watched Jude Law in where I'm like, yeah, I'm attracted to him. I guess oh, I like many. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I think it I think it was like all of his real life stuff really did get in the yeah. way of my enjoyment of him. I guess I I do really like him as Watson in the Sherlock Holmes movies. For me, it's talented Mr. Ripley. Mm-hmm. That's a big one. And I well, closer. Even though in, in Closer, he's also a, a piece pretty, of shit. <laughs> pretty good piece of shit, but he's still yeah. attractive. Um, and then when they did The Aviator in 2004, he played Errol Flynn. Oh, yeah, that's right. And I was, I was, mm, mm. but even back in like the Gattaca days, like I remember we had to watch, Gat- I think I saw Gattaca three times in high school because every science teacher I had wanted to show it to us. Um, oh my god i've heard that from kyle and cody too like oh yeah well they were we're all in the same high school i think our (laughs) north high school like had a a thing for gattaca um we always watched that and it was great i love that movie i'm still nervous about eyelashes falling into my keyboard because of that movie (laughs) (laughs) i did like him in captain marvel I guess, but I wasn't like attracted to him. But I no. thought he was. Well, like, he's also a piece of shit in Captain Marvel. Yeah, but I was like, oh, he's great casting in um, yeah. Captain Marvel. Well, we could also talk about him being a sex robot in the family movie AI. Oh yeah, I forgot about that. <laughs> <laughs> that was perfect casting too. <laughs> Man, but yeah, I I don't think there was ever a movie where I was like. Jude Law is a hot man that I would like to oh, kiss. You know what other movie? He's a piece of shit, but that's the point. Alfie. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm, I think that was the first one I was like, oh, Jude Law. I could watch you in a lot. <laughs> anyway, now that I've talked about Jude Law way too much on this podcast, Katie, uh, <laughs> we, any final thoughts on the holiday? Um, No, thank you to Jude Law. Um, yeah. Yes, thank you to Kate Winslet and Jack Black. Um, also, I Black, who just becomes more endearing with age, quite honestly. Yeah, one thousand percent. I just adore him. And um, I, oh, I will say one thing that I missed saying before is that I think another reason why I like the Kate Winslet half of the movie is because I. My romantic experiences for most of my life were much like Kate Winslet's where um, they were all unrequited. I would fall for someone hard and we would either be like friends and they would just sort of string me along a little bit or they would be with someone else or, you know, yada, yada. So I think that's another reason why I really like that part Mm -hmm. of the movie. Mm -hmm. 
but I really like it. It's really good. And I'm glad we got to talk about it today, Katie. Me too. And also, oh God, I know it's like, it's morning time for us right now, but I'm really craving fettuccine because they like, there's like a couple scenes in the movie where they eat fettuccine. They're just like, do you want to eat some fettuccine? And I'm like, what a weird thing to say. Absolutely. I do. (laughs) And, and so you've got your dinner plans ready to go tonight then. Yeah, I was gonna say maybe I can make I, I didn't decide. I didn't meal plan for tonight. So maybe fettuccine it is. What about you? Final thoughts? Um, I will say that we are recording this on the 17th anniversary of it coming out. It came out December 8th, 2006. So oh, shut cool up. we're recording this the day it came out. <laughs> um, uh, one final thought. I don't know if this is true or not. And it's changing me I'm changing my my thoughts a little bit about how much I like this song. I read some uh, interesting trivia. I love the band, the Wombats, and they have a song from their first album called Kill the Director. And mm-hmm. I always thought it was just kind of a funny song. It was like, this is not if this is a rom-com, Kill the Director. And I just read today that it, the story behind that song is that I guess the band went to see this movie and they were expecting it to be like a rom-com like Bridget Jones and were disappointed that it wasn't. And so that song is about this movie. And I'm like, how dare you say that about Nancy Myers? Oh, no, I didn't know that. I like yeah. the Wombats, too. I don't know if I've ever heard that song. But also, fuck the Wombats. Nancy Myers is amazing. And you and I are going to do an episode on Parent Trap because we got to talk about that one, too. Oh, yeah. And we're also going to eventually do an episode on Bridget Jones, I'm quite sure. 100%. Bridget Jones is also Nancy Myers, right? Uh, No. Oh. Nope. I mean, I know she didn't write it, but I didn't no, know. No, that's a did. Richard Curtis. Special. Oh, yeah, that's right. Because they, they have um, my son Bernard or not my son Bernard, but there's an awful Bernard in that movie. An awful Bernard. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And it was it was directed by Sharon McGuire. So it was still directed by a woman, which is always good. You can always tell on rom-coms. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah. Um, well, next week. Uh, we are working on a special guest for next week. So if all goes well, we will have a special guest in the proverbial studio to talk about another Christmas movie. And we are so excited to talk about this next one because while the holiday is a sleeper, the next one we're going to talk about is possibly the most famous holiday rom-com ever made. With lots of polarizing opinions to accompany it. And lots of thoughts about how it's aged. Yep. (laughs) Yeah, there there are a lot of different thoughts between like Gen uh, Gen Z and millennials on this movie. So I would even say Gen X in there too, and and a yeah. little bit boomers. My my parents like this one, but we'll get there next next week. In the meantime, make sure you join <laughs> us on Instagram at SP Cinema Club. Uh, we're gonna be posting some stuff. There are a couple of things from the holiday memes from the holiday that I've been seeing that I really want to make sure we get up there. Um, and probably some fun Jack Black videos too this week because I, anytime him he plays the saxaboom. I was gonna say the saxaboom. <laughs> Again, I'm sorry to mention Fallon, but anytime he plays the saxaboom, I have to stop and watch. Um, so <laughs> we will be over there uh, this week. Uh, we only have a couple episodes left for our holiday season. So if there is a movie you really, really want us to cover, uh, let us know. You can reach us there. Um, but also please rate. Uh, rate the episode, subscribe, send it to your friends. Everyone is welcome at the slumber party. Five stars only, please. We will see you next time. Bye. Bye.